Hello, I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Welcome to Payment Security, a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series brought to you by GM SecTech. With operations in 50 countries worldwide and headquartered in San Juan, Puerto Rico, GM SecTech has over 50 years of service in the technology and security verticals. To learn more about GM SecTech, visit gmsectech.com. Joining me today is Kyle Armstrong, Director of Law Enforcement Relations at TRM Labs. Welcome, Kyle. So happy to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so Kyle, we're going to talk about some interesting things today. But before we get into our discussion, I'd love for you to share with us a bit of background about yourself, your career, as well as TRM Labs. Great. Happy to. So Kyle Armstrong, and I came from the public sector. I was with the FBI for 14 years, working mostly illicit finance, which included money laundering, terrorism finance, and I was a program manager of the virtual currency team at the FBI for a couple of years, where we really focused on growing our virtual currency capabilities and programs and expanding sort of our case profile. I came to TRM Labs about six months ago as the Director of Law Enforcement Relations. And TRM Labs is a blockchain intelligence firm. Our goal is to make a safer financial system for billions of people. And really what that means is highlighting illicit cryptocurrency and blockchain-related transactions and players so that the private sector and the public sector can identify, disrupt, and or de-risk those type of transactions. And what that means is we work with banks and exchanges and regulators and law enforcement and decentralized platforms to identify bad, illicit transactions in crypto, where if you're a regulator, you can protect against that. If you're law enforcement, you can try and find out who's behind that. And if you're an exchange or a bank, you can make sure that you are not associating with those transactions or with the folks that are performing those transactions. Great. So you're certainly the right guest for today's episode. <laughs> um, I guess to, to start off, just for anyone who may be unaware, I'd like to ask you, what is cryptocurrency? But then in addition to that, what is, and you kind of alluded to this in your response, You know, what is the intersection with cryptocurrency and illicit conduct? Sure. So cryptocurrency broadly, there's many different variations, but broadly speaking, it is a blockchain-based exchange of value. And so cryptocurrency, the most popular that folks are probably familiar with is Bitcoin. And the general characteristics of Bitcoin are that it is a decentralized open source ledger of transactions. And so what that means is the blockchain generally just keeps track of who is making payments to whom. And it is not named by individual, but by wallet address. And so if I, Kyle Armstrong, have a Bitcoin address and it is an alphanumeric address, ABCD1234, and I send one Bitcoin to my friend, or maybe I buy a Tesla for one Bitcoin, I will conduct that transaction and the blockchain will record that transaction. And that is a permanent and irrefutable transaction so that subsequently I can't spend my same Bitcoin on something else. And so the blockchain just keeps track of that so that the next iteration of 
the ledger shows that now Kyle has one less Bitcoin and Tesla has one more Bitcoin. And I use Tesla there just because that's one of the consumer staples that accepts Bitcoin for payment. And so there are people buying Teslas with Bitcoin right now. And so overall, most blockchains have varying characteristics, but one of the most common characteristics is this decentralized and public ledger where you can track every transaction ever on the ledger, whether that is a smart contract or a unspent transaction. Anyone can get online and make sure that these transactions are confirmed and make sure that you can track the exchange of value. What TRM Labs does is, as you can imagine, those transactions, every transaction ever being published creates a lot of data. And in order to track certain transactions, to do so just using the blockchain becomes a bit like an old school math problem where you are tracking one alphanumeric transaction to a second and you're using Excel spreadsheet type data sets to try and track where the value went. And that becomes very difficult. So TRM Labs not only provides information about the data and the players, but also provides a graphical analysis and a graphical depiction of all the transactions. And so the problem and the reason that TRM exists is, of course, in any transfer of value mechanism, whether it's a credit card or a bank account, bank wire transaction, or a prepaid credit card or PayPal account, there's going to be bad actors that use the value transfer system. And so at TRM Labs, we've pretty much seen every type of violation that you can think of individuals engaging in illicit transactions. So for example, ransomware, pretty much all ransomware payments are made via virtual currency. Fraud, the classic fraud scheme of where someone reaches out to you on the phone and says, hey, I'm your long lost relative. Send me $5,000 and I'll send you your inheritance of a million dollars. That has really moved into cryptocurrency. Nation state actors have engaged in high profile cyber attacks where exchanges have been hacked and cryptocurrency directly was stolen. Drugs and human trafficking and all cyber crime and pretty much every other major crime you can think of, there's some interaction with cryptocurrency. And so our job here at TRM, again, is to enable regulators to identify that, for law enforcement to identify the transactions and hopefully the folks behind those transactions, and the exchanges themselves to make sure that they are not taking in money from bad actors, to include folks like ISIS and Al-Qaeda have been involved. And that was one of my last major cases at the FBI was involving virtual currency in multiple independent terrorist groups. And so all the bad actors are getting into it. It's cheap and it's borderless and it's immediate. And so it is decentralized, meaning that, you know, Bank of America or JP Morgan or PayPal is not screening against you to make sure that you are not a terrorist or a ransomware actor. And so it becomes a problem. And so entities need to use software like TRM Lab software in order to try and mitigate some of this illicit finance. Great. And so 
in addition to what you've already shared and to elaborate further, what trends has TRM Labs seen in regards to types of cryptocurrencies that have been used to foster that illicit conduct? Yeah, I would say one of the big trends, and it's consistent with just the trend in the space generally, is the movement of additional cryptocurrencies. So I mentioned Bitcoin. Bitcoin is still by far the largest cryptocurrency in use. However, in the last two, three, four years, several other large cryptocurrencies, market capitalization, have increased dramatically. And not only has that happened in the general space, but also, again, in the illicit finance space. So I'm not sure if folks are familiar with Dogecoin. There was sort of a big meme stock and sort of a crypto meme uh, craze over during the pandemic where a couple celebrities got behind and tweeted about Dogecoin and the price skyrocketed. Dogecoin is a pretty small market capitalization relative to Bitcoin, but that's just one example of different cryptocurrency. The second biggest by market capitalization virtual currency is Ethereum. And Ethereum is smart contract based, which essentially means it's a little bit different than how the Bitcoin protocol works. But some of the important parts of the differentiation is that you can build different currencies on top of Ethereum. And so there have been an explosion of Ethereum-based tokens and other currencies. So you may have heard of NFTs, a non-fungible token. You may have heard of several of the newly launched virtual currencies, like Miami Coin was put out by the city government of Miami. And there's really a very small number of these currencies that have really taken off in capitalization. Again, what we have at TRM, we have 26 different blockchains, which are native to the software that we have, which includes all of these ERC-20 tokens and NFT tokens and all the different currencies. And so a big trend we have seen, again, are not only in the regular space where everyday consumers are using it, but illicit actors. We've seen, again, anything from terrorism-based actors, nation-state actors, ransomware actors, all using the lesser known virtual currencies, probably because governments are just trying to keep up and are just getting their heads wrapped around how to investigate Bitcoin-based transactions. So folks are moving into a less exploited space. Excellent. And so that leads me to my next question for you, which is how can firms like GM SecTech and TRM Labs work in unison to ensure that if an extortion payment needs to be made, there is no further victimization? Yeah, that's a great question. And so cyber firms such as GM SecTech do a great job in preparation. You know, you never want to be an entity that is attacked in a cyber attack having done no preparation, because at this point, it's only a matter of when and not if, just based on the online nature of all entities these days. And so if, unfortunately, there is an attack on an entity and a payment is demanded or extracted, TRM works with great entities like GM SecTech, and you want to be able to quickly and efficiently either make the payment or hopefully you've done you know, again, you've done the preparation, 
where you have an offline backup of the data. You have clear lines of communication with law enforcement and with, you know, your preferred insurance carrier. And, you know, so TRM works with folks to make sure that a payment can be made and can be made quickly and to make sure that, you know, we can work with law enforcement. We have, you know, dozens of ex-law enforcement folks at TRM at this point that have worked on these things for a living to make sure that we are continuing to work closely with our law enforcement partners to try and track and hopefully seize some of the funds. One other item to sort of mention is talking about ransomware attacks. There has been a bit of a shift in sort of the ransomware protocols. It used to be that you would get a malicious code on your computer. It would be frozen. You would have to pay an extortion amount and they would unlock your computer. However, now there seems to be a real trend in data exfiltration. And so not only are they locking up your computer, but they're stealing your data. And so the double extortion tactic is that you need to A, pay to unlock your system, but then B, you need to pay to keep that ransomware actor from publishing that internal sensitive data. And so again, when working with a cybersecurity firm, you need to talk about these things and how you would go about doing it. And you know, we have a, an incident response business model here at TRM where we will also work in unison with someone like GM SecTech, and we will work on the payment side and make sure that, hey, if any payments are made, we can try and give a pretty good evaluation of how those payments, where they will go. We can track it you know, pretty easily usually and figure out if this is a situation where you may be a victim of double exploitation or what you can expect. Excellent. And so how does TRM Labs obtain attribution for their tool to ensure that law enforcement exchanges, payment processors, et cetera, are not making payments to perhaps restricted or prohibited entities? Yeah, that's another really good question. So you may or may not be terribly familiar with uh, sanctions law, but the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, otherwise known as IEPA, gives sort of the president and the Treasury Department the ability to sanction entities and prohibit U.S. persons or anyone in the U.S. from engaging in a financial transaction with one of those entities that has been sanctioned. What this means for your everyday consumer is that by statute, if say you are victimized by an entity which is on the sanction list, of which there are multiple at this point, where the Department of Treasury says you cannot engage in a transaction with this sanctioned entity, but in order to get your data back or unlock your computer, you are required to make a payment. You need to know what type of exposure you are giving yourself in doing so. One of the things that TRM does is we have a pretty crack staff of folks that go out and find attribution on these addresses. And what that means is that you know you don't always know when you are a victim who the actor is who is victimizing you. And so when they say, hey, you need to pay me $100,000 to this address, ABCD1234, for example, in TRM, we have that attribution. We have figured out, hey, that is 
the known address of a Conti ransomware group or Lockbit 3.0 or one of these groups who may or may not have exposure to sanctions. And so the last thing anyone wants to do is make a payment to a sanctioned actor and then be in violation of sanctions law, which is you know pretty much strict liability. Now, I don't think off the top of my head, any one time when an individual consumer or person was sought after by the Treasury Department for you know, paying a ransom. However, it is a violation of the law and there could be civil or criminal penalties. And so the Treasury Department, OFAC, Office of Foreign Asset Control, has a protocol for when you can have a license to make that payment. But many times in a ransomware situation, time is of the essence. You have you know, three days, seven days, 10 days, 14 days, something like that to make the payment before your system is locked up permanently or before your data is published online. And so again, with TRM, what we have been able to do is we have folks that are working every day to get this attribution, to figure out where these actors are hiding and what kind of currencies they're using. And then we're happy to provide that data to folks so that they can make you know, their own sort of judgment about the best next step. And so our team of folks are working with many of the government actors to try and figure out the best way forward when this happens. But again, we are happy to pass along, certainly not legal advice, but happy to pass along the facts related to the addresses which are being solicited for payment. With that, I guess, what would your advice be for entities that have large online processes? You know, how must they protect themselves and what do they need to do if they are targeted? Yeah, again, I really think sort of best practice, and it's unfortunate because it's never cheap and it's an expense that is not really built into most entities. You got to figure out what would happen if your entity, whether it's a nonprofit or a government entity or an active corporation, if you were hit by a cyber or ransomware or other attack. And so the best practice would be, you know, working with a group like one of the cyber firms that provides incident response just to pick out, hey, who would be the insurance carrier? Should we get insurance for this? What kind of backups do we have for our data? What kind of training do we have for our personnel? What kind of security protocols do we have on our internet-facing system? By and large, the biggest driver of ransomware attacks is still you know, pretty much personal negligence. And so it's phishing attack, it's social engineering attack, it's just exploits that are associated with the personnel of an entity. And so trying to pinpoint exactly what your biggest vulnerabilities are, it takes, you know, usually an expert to do so is one thing that I would always recommend. Secondly, you know, direct communication to law enforcement particularly if you're a sizable firm, is important. You know, for better or for worse, most law enforcement, particularly the FBI and HSI, which are two of the co-leads for cyber infrastructure and cyber attacks, are huge entities. It's hard to just pick up the phone and get a cyber expert on the line from either of those entities. Doing that work before you need to is something that I recommend to folks all the time. And there's opportunities. There's plenty of opportunities at conferences, at outreach events, at 
other types of events where you can work with law enforcement or meet law enforcement to just, you know, introduce yourself and get an agent's name. You know, you get her name, then if there is an attack, instead of calling the general dial-in line, you may be able to call that agent and get her to jump in with two feet and figure out, you know, what the situation is and who needs to be involved. I would say the last thing is, you know, making sure that anytime there is an event that you act quickly and work with, you know, some of the professionals in the space of which there are a lot, but work with folks that are reputable that you know are not going to continue to victimize you as there are plenty of vultures out there who will promise to be able to fend off any attacks or to solicit and track down payments who may also be illicit actors who are just looking for payments up front or looking for additional vulnerabilities to victimize the company. And so Kyle, my final question for you is, what do you see as the future of cryptocurrency and value transfer, as well as nation state involvement in cyber events? Sure. So I've painted, I think, a, a bit of a bleak picture, which I did not mean to paint <laughs> here. These are the things that we worry about. And maybe it's my law enforcement background. Cryptocurrency is wonderful, by and large. And it's wonderful because it is decentralized and anyone can access it. And it's a lot easier to join the cryptocurrency economy than it is the traditional Western banked economy. There's not everyone has you know, a bank account at JP Morgan, and it's a pretty inefficient process if you think about all the fees that you must pay. And even a wire transfer is $15, $20, takes three days. You know, a Bitcoin transfer is immediate and the fees are usually, you know, less than a dollar and everyone knows that the transaction has happened. So everyone in the world can participate, which is really exciting. And so there's always folks that seem to be doom and gloom on virtual currency, but there really is a growing economy, not only on virtual currency, but particular information stored on a blockchain. And so the blockchains underlie you know, cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin or Ethereum, Tron network, but really the blockchain has multiple uses. And so just storing data on the blockchain, think stock trades or think real estate transactions, things that could be much more efficient. And the blockchain technology is there. As far as, you know, other virtual currencies, which I see, you know, emerging, Stable coins. People have probably heard a little bit about virtual currency, which is pegged to fiat currency, which is currently called a stable coin. Another sort of centralized and national stable coin, a central bank digital currency, CBDC, are emerging all throughout the world. And, you know, in the near future, the United States may introduce a CBDC. And you've seen it roll out in a few different countries. China is working on a centralized currency. A few countries in Latin America, a couple in the developing world are working on it, again, related to efficiency. And anytime it seems in technological history, anytime there is a more efficient mechanism, which is introduced, it eventually becomes the thing in which it replaced. So thinking about computers, cell phones, the internet, it just, as technology moves forward, the more efficient tool is usually the one that is the winner. And so 
there's many, many things to be excited about for virtual currency and blockchain. Of course, there's, again, like we said at the outset, there's always going to be bad actors associated with value transfer. And so in addition to, you know, the U.S. looking at blockchain technology and potentially a centralized digital currency for efficiency's sake, there's also, you know, nation states who maybe are a little bit antagonistic to the West, North Korea, Iran, Iran may be developing a centralized digital currency in order to evade UN and US sanctions. That would make it more difficult for entities in the West to track and mitigate some of the misconduct involved in nation state actions from those countries. So overall, I I have a very positive outlook on virtual currency. I'd encourage anyone to go in and play around with it a little bit. It seems daunting based on sort of the technical terms and the underlying cryptography. But I can tell you, I have no idea how the internal logic of a credit card system works or how an ACH transfer is initiated and completed. You know, when I go into Starbucks and I use my visa, I get my Starbucks and I figure out the back end later. Same thing with virtual currency. I couldn't explain the cryptography to it to anyone. But I just know that, you know, similarly, when I've gone in and gone to, I'm in Chicago and there's a few uh, entities here that commercial entities, which accept Bitcoin. I go in, I make my transaction using my wallet, which is hosted on my cell phone and I come out with the good and it's immediate and I don't have to involve a bank and I don't have to involve remittances and I don't have to wait till the end of the month to pay it off. It's done, it's efficient and it's cheap. And it's cheaper than a credit card and it's faster than a wire transfer. So, yeah, we have a positive outlook here at TRM. We're just helping to try and make the space as safe as possible for folks and try and encourage folks to take a look at the technology. Excellent. Well, I think you redeemed yourself. That was very optimistic, Kyle. So uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show and taking the time to join us and lend us your expertise. It was just a pleasure listening to you and speaking with you. Well, likewise, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, if anybody has any sort of interest in getting involved or wants to be involved in the space, I'm always happy to talk one-on-one and folks can find me on LinkedIn or, you know, Armstrong at TRM Labs is my email address. So happy to reach out and talk to folks. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. And I hope that we get to speak again. Yeah. Thank you very much, Hillary. Have a great day. You too. I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Payment Security is brought to you by GM SecTech. GM SecTech offers innovative solutions and services in cybersecurity, governance, and compliance focused on managing digital risk. Their solutions are designed to detect advanced attacks and respond to them effectively, reducing business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. To learn more about our sponsor, GM SecTech, visit gmsectech.com and you can listen to all of our podcast episodes at cybercrime.radio.